Hey everybody, this is Jade. We're doing something a little bit different today because Carly is at her brother's wedding. He's getting married, so congratulations to them. But I am here with a very special guest. I'm super excited. I've been wanting her on the podcast for a while, and that is my midwife who helped me deliver Reed, Ashley Serapas. Hello. Hi. Hi. That's such a good entry. Oh, thank you. you got good energy. <laughs> I'm excited. This I is know. fun. I'm really happy to yeah. be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. I feel like you've played such a big role in my, probably on my podcast, I feel like. People probably have heard a lot about you as I was pregnant with Reed and then it's birth and everything postpartum. So I feel like everybody kind of already knows a little bit about at least your fantastic midwife care. <laughs> Thank you. I feel like you've done a great job talking about me. I love it. I was Aww. like so blessed to hear. I think I wrote you the day that you released that podcast and I had had yeah. a hard midwife day and I wrote you and I was like, you just made me cry. <laughs> Sometimes there's hard midwife days where you don't feel that great. And so it's just a good reminder to hear the good and remember the good stories and that what we do is a long lasting, impacting, beautiful, rippling effect. And, you know, there is hard, but mostly it's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. I feel at least I know everybody's journey is different. But for me, when I became pregnant with Reed, I was searching for something specific. And that was just like a healing process. Mm -hmm. And so it was just like, I feel like I just found you at the right time. It would just felt like everything aligned and my intuition. And I actually like talked to you, gosh, early on in my pregnancy. And mm -hmm. then I had a hard time convincing Tanner that, mm -hmm. you know, this was the route that I felt like was right for me. And then when he got on board, finally, I was like, I need to call Ashley. Well, I remember you both called me. So it was yes. a conversation with you first. And I was like, well, this is already we already know that this is what you want. And then <laughs> with Tanner, it was more of like the logistics and the and that's how it is with most partners where they're like, OK, well, what what about A, B and C? And what if there's this? And and how about finances and all of those logistical questions that they're, you know, their minds go to. They don't always tap into that intuitive this is what is right for her body. You know, <laughs> they think about logistics. So it's like I got to have the intuitive, empowered conversation with you. And then also the logistical like ABs and Cs with Tanner. And it was it was a good like, okay. I always laugh because the dads will be the most skeptical and they come in and they're like, I don't know. This is I don't know, but I trust you. And so like whatever you want, babe, like that's fine. But then they end up being our biggest advocates at the end of everything. They're like, everyone, why doesn't everyone do this? And I'm like, do you remember how skeptical? <laughs> you were when you started? <laughs> Do you remember the conversations we had? And it just takes, you know, some people more time, others jump right in, but it's our biggest cheerleaders end up becoming the partners. That's funny because I feel that's Tanner now because if we ever did have another baby, he would be like, oh yeah, yeah, we're having the baby at home. Why, why wouldn't we? <laughs> like, I Why feel wouldn't we plan it this way yeah. again instead of accidental? <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> Okay, so I want to take it back to the beginning, kind of, of your midwife career. And everybody just um, – I got a lot of questions about, like, what made you want to become a midwife? So I have a really funny journey. I've been doing this for – this April will be 11 years of working in the birth world. The first birth I ever saw, I was 10 years old. So my mom – I'm the oldest of six kids – I know. <laughs> we, She remarried and my dad who adopted the first three of us, they had three kids together. So the first one, I was 10 years old and super excited and wanted to be a part of it, which is funny because not all 10-year-olds want to, right? And she had all of her babies in the hospital. There was nothing. I didn't know anything about home birth. I didn't know anything about midwives. It was just that I was excited to see a baby be born. Yeah. And then when I was 17, we had senior projects for our senior year. And my mom was pregnant again <laughs> with the last baby. And she invited me to come again. And I was super excited to come. And I was working on my senior project at the time. And I was doing it. I've always been have my hand. I'm a jack of all trades. Like I have my hands in a lot of pots because I like to do all the things. I just think there's so many fun things that you can do with your life. So I was, I'm a musician as well. So I've had two CDs, like I've gone and done recordings and all of those oh, wow. things. And I was doing my senior project on music and on nursing. And I'm like, that literally went with me the rest of my life. I've always been doing music during midwifery and midwifery. So 
Um, when I was 17, I was doing it on the nursing portion and she invited me to her birth and it was actually kind of a scary birth. There was an obstetrical emergency. The doctor like kicked the chair out from behind him and wouldn't, baby wasn't coming down and she ended up being in the NICU for two weeks, but none of it scared me. And I was like, this is a good sign that all I want is to just be around moms and babies and birth and women. And I thought it was so exciting and interesting and intriguing. So I continued moving forward with that. And then I had two best friends who have six kids each. (laughs) They started young (laughs) and I'm on a very different trajectory than them, but we always laugh because they're like, you should be a doula. I'm like, what is a doula? I'm like, they're like, you're already doing it. You just, now you can get paid for it. And like, it's a thing. So you should, you should learn what to do. So that was almost 11 years ago when I started helping them with their babies and started being part of their birth experiences and learning about birth centers and learning about midwives and learning that there was alternative options for birth and women's health. And then that is the rabbit hole I dove into deep and hard. I started working for a birth center and interned there for a while as a doula. And then I also worked with them as a midwife assistant for a long time. And then I was like, okay, I'm, it's time for me to stop pretending that I'm the midwife and just go to school <laughs> and be the midwife. And I had gone into nursing, uh, like all of the programs for nursing. Um, and that's something that we can talk about. There's two different forms of midwifery and there's all kinds of forms of, of home birth that you can – all types of options. But um, I chose originally to do nursing. And then it was as if my path just guided me and led me off into a completely different trajectory, which is really powerful because everyone who knew me was like, what are you doing? You don't even like doctors. You don't even like medicine. You don't take anything. What are you talking about? You want to be a nurse and work in a hospital. So it, it's been a really beautiful, long <laughs> journey that has led me here today to being a midwife. That's really cool. Do you feel like you're living out your calling? Do you feel – I know you said you're a jack of all trades, which I feel like mm-hmm. I am too. Like mm-hmm. I've lived 11 different lives. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but do you feel like – I mean, I guess what's the most like empowering part of being a midwife to you? Well, we have a lot of girls that will come and be like, I want to be a midwife. What do I need to do? I I get asked that all the time. I honestly think I need to write a blog post about it and just put it up so that anytime someone writes me, I can say, start here. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's become so much people are interested in midwifery and want to know how they can be a part of it or be one. But I always tease that become a doula first, like live the lifestyle first, get your hands wet, get involved and start seeing what this lifestyle is like. Because a lot of people want to be a midwife, but a lot of people are not midwives because it's a different life. It's a very, it is a calling. It is a, um, a very amazing and wonderful and sacrificial journey that you walk through. And it takes a lot of conviction and knowing that this is what you're supposed to be doing and that you, we go against the grain a lot of times. And so really like standing in your power and knowing that this is what you were meant to do and that what you were made to be here for. So yeah, it's definitely for me a calling. I I don't think that anyone could do this as a quote unquote job because it's not easy by any means doing home birth. Yeah. What is the statistic of births that are home births? It's pretty it's pretty low, it's low. in the US. Yeah. I want to say that over the last 10 years it's gone up, but it was like 1% or less than 1% that long ago and now I would say it's probably like 1.6. It's like a very <laughs> small number of people are having home births. Do you think that it's just because it's not presented to us? You know, it, we cuz like when I was younger, I would have just assumed, oh, yeah, I'm just going to have a baby in a hospital. But then there was things that I discovered and watched documentaries and came across water births. And I just thought it was so beautiful and it felt so like primitive and natural and sacred. And I was like, why wouldn't I want that? Like mm-hmm. that just seems so special compared to being on my back with a bunch of things attached to me, like mm-hmm. monitoring. All that felt like anxiety to me. But Do you think it's just – I mean, I don't want to get, like, political. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, midwifery is political. Yeah. (laughs) It just is. People are like, why don't you speak up more? I'm like, girl, I'm working it every day. This is my life. This is – midwifery is political. It's hard. But – so to answer your question, I feel like our culture has – it doesn't speak of birth the way that birth is. It doesn't teach women that they're powerful. Like, did you learn throughout your lifetime that you're a powerful, amazing, strong body could 
create life and bring forth life. And these aren't the things that we were taught growing up. These are the things that we're learning now. These are the things that Mm -hmm. we're learning to teach our children. But that was not something that even our mothers and our grandmothers have. In the, I believe it was the 1800s, there was a lot of lay midwives, granny midwives, traditional midwives who worked in the communities and they took care of their births, labor delivery, all of it was at home. And then they started training obstetricians and these schools started pumping out obstetricians to take care of women in the hospitals and they started marketing it. So it became a very big marketed strategic thing of basically blasting the traditional midwives saying like, don't birth with these women, they're dirty, they have diseases or they're witches or whatever. And then it was like birth in this shiny, beautiful hospital where we will keep you safer. And so there was this huge shift in the Victorian age where women were like, well, why wouldn't I want to give? It's it's like the more prestigious way to give birth was in this clean, sterile hospital, quote unquote, sterile hospital. And so it, midwife became very ostracized and belittled. And over time, it went from like 100% births at home to less and less and less and less to now we're like one point something percent. It's it's a very interesting um, tactic. And I think now we're seeing the swing because people are starting to waken up to them to themselves and to waken up mm-hmm. to their power and yeah, find what what they really do feel intrinsically that they're meant to do with their bodies. Yeah, I think we've been taught that we should be afraid of birth. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, that it's, it's, a, it's a culture of fear. That it's scary, mm-hmm. you know. Well, what's, what is all the movie? All the movies, what do they teach us? Like your water breaks and it's like, ah, like we've got to go to the hospital right now. Like it's like this big, urgent, emergent thing. And like, oh, thank God we made it because we wouldn't have lived if we didn't make it. And then we hear that a lot in hospitals. Emergencies happen. And we, I talked to you about this in your console, right? Like emergencies happen. They're, we are trained to handle emergencies as they arise, but there are different methods of taking care of emergencies and different gentle practices with midwifery versus more intense practices or fear-based practices. And so, yeah, it's, it's a very like, oh, thank God I was in the hospital because if I hadn't, what would have happened? And you're like, well, we would have done the same thing and maybe even more gentle because we believe that you and your baby are a dyad. Like you guys must stay together and that Mm -hmm. if you're not okay, baby's not okay. If baby's not okay, you're not okay. The two of you have to be together. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a culture of, of fear. And, um, I think that the more and more people, start to wake up to their power and start to recognize and and educate themselves and research. And one of my friends, Floor from Badass Mother Birther, she posted something that I reposted today that made me laugh. It was like, some of y'all are looking at your ex-spouse's ex more, doing more research on her than on who you're planning on delivering your baby. (laughs) So like not knowing, you know, would you go into birth? Most people don't go into birth researching it. Like they research what the kind of car they want or what right. kind of TV they want or those types of basic things that we research the hell out of. But birth, oh, I'm just going to, I don't know. I just have this doctor and I'm just going to go in and it'll all be peachy. Yeah. No, I think it is. I think it, it's almost not our fault in a way. Because no. like you said, like it's the way our culture has yes. molded birth yeah. and – it's what we've seen our mothers do, mm-hmm. and so why wouldn't we just like do what we know compared to trying to find the little hidden paths, mm-hmm. I feel like, mm-hmm. that are there are different options that women have, so many different options when it comes to how they want to birth, yeah. not how medicine, I guess, seems like you need to birth. And yeah. obviously there are high-risk births and there are traumatic experiences. Like that's not to say that those things don't happen. No, they do. Yeah. Yeah. Firsthand experience with it all. (laughs) (laughs) But, but it is, it's, it's about, I think the biggest thing is that empowering women to know that they have choices and that they have options and that they can trust their intuition to guide them truly to the right path. And and I am the first to say, I will never convince anybody to have a home birth with me because that is not my role, not my responsibility and too much liability for me, honestly. Like I'm not here to make sure that you have a home birth. I'm here to make sure that I can guide. I What did I say to you the first day? I am not God. I, I want everyone to know I am not God. I don't make <laughs> things happen. I, I can't make things happen for my own life. Why would I pretend I can make it happen for yours? But I will be your Sherpa. I will walk alongside you for whatever this sacred contract is, whatever this journey is supposed yeah. to look like for you and, and move through that 
together, right? I'll carry some of your bags. But it has to be that you feel empowered to make those choices and know that you have choices and options. Mm -hmm. And most people don't realize that they do. They think, oh, this is just what I'm supposed to do. I don't know. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. I don't know if it's just the care that you provide, but I feel like everything was very like holistic. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if every midwife is like this. <laughs> I just found like the, the gym, the gym of all the midwives. I feel <laughs> but like I felt not only was I getting care for myself as a pregnant woman and then for my baby as I was birthing, but it was like, you were, you're a friend, mm -hmm. you were a therapist, <laughs> you know, like you helped me like holistically go through so much. And along the way, guided me through some major healing that I was searching for. Yeah. Is that is that like unique to you or is that like something that like if you're a woman and you're needing you're wanting more of a holistic experience that you can find in a midwife compared to an OBGYN who you go in for your prenatal prenatal care and it's a 15 minute appointment yeah. and all they do is check off all this list of stuff and then you're out the door. Yeah. And that's what I, I liked about my prenatal visits is that it's it, – I like to tell you guys in the beginning, I'm not just here to take your blood pressure and leave you with more questions than when you came in. My goal is for each visit to address how's your stress? How are you sleeping? What's going on with your other kids? Uh, what is going on between you and Tanner? Like, how is your relationship? How's your family dynamic? What it's psychosocial, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's all of the things. It's not just physical. And to be able to find the balance in all of that, to yes, of course, we have the training to do all of the medical things. That's part of why we're there. But for me as a midwife, and I know that it's the same for my partner, Lindsay, we know that there is so much more involved than just the physical, than just the act of giving birth, that this is a very huge threshold that you're crossing. And so our desire is to walk alongside you and to hold a mirror to you to see the gifts that you have, the tools that you have, the power that you have, and to help you walk that journey out. And we were laughing today because it's so easy for us to step into vulnerability with you guys. And then when it's us, we're like, oh, shit, we don't want to be vulnerable. <laughs> but it's it's one of the things that we love is to step into that hard, vulnerable moment with you guys. But no, not all midwives are created equal. There is you know, I could get myself in trouble for saying this, but there are what we quote unquote call medwives. Um, so not all midwives are created equal. Some of them are still working within a policy like of the hospital guidelines if they're working in a birth center. And you'll still find amazing midwives in there that are working within the systems. But I think one of the things for myself is that stepping outside of that system and finding the gray area is very special as a midwife. And working in the aspect of this is like, for me, a traditional heritage that I get to carry on, not a job and not just a medical role. Yeah. So are all the births that you attend, I guess, are all of them hold space for? Yeah. <laughs> hold space for. Are they all water births? Is that kind of your specialty? I'd say a lot of them are. Yeah. But we always say don't have an attachment. Like you could have a land birth, you could have a toilet birth, you can have, <laughs> we've had them all. Um, so most people want to have a water birth because they see it. And we tell everyone just get your tub and get a hose and let's we'll set it up. We bring a pump to suck it all out afterwards, but have that set up ready because it's like if you went to sadly we haven't been able to walk to Disneyland, <laughs> be at Disneyland, <laughs> so cal people, but um you know, if you go spend a long day walking Disneyland or you go and you work in your garden all day long, your body is tired, you are weary, your muscles are fatigued. It's like the best kind of feeling, right? And then when you enter into water, your whole body just uh, like melts into it. It's the same. Um, we call it hydrotherapy. It's like the same physiological relief and uh, guide or like help for that. Is that like the main benefit of a water birth? Mm -hmm. Yeah, hydrotherapy. Like helping with decrease the intensity of the waves. A lot of people get in and they're like, oh my gosh, this is so much better. The buoyancy, like having not as much of a heavy feeling on mm -hmm. your butt, on your hips, on your feet, like everything just feels a little lighter and you can rest into it more. I feel like a lot of our people who are in water, not everyone, but most of them that are in water tend to be able to rest better in between the waves. Interesting. When I was in labor with Brooks, 
I got into my bathtub Mm -hmm. and then I remember for like 10 minutes, I think. And that's when like everything really, like I started to get hot and sweaty and felt like I couldn't, like it was, I was pretty much in transition. Yeah. (laughs) But then when I told, because I had a midwife from from the birth center, when I told her about that, she was like, oh, you probably just relaxed and that baby just came straight down. Like, yeah. Is that, does it help you? It's a thing. Yeah. It's a thing. (laughs) It's where your body can finally release like the muscles that you're holding that are tight or that you just like don't feel like you can fully release into. And then you get in there and it's like, yeah, I butter. Yeah. I didn't know. I was like, oh man, like maybe I shouldn't have done that. But like, Mm -hmm. it's what I had done with Emmy when I went into labor with Emmy at first, because I was trying to labor at home as much as possible before. Um, cause technically I was supposed to have Emmy at a birth center yeah. too. And then she came at 36 weeks. So I had to go to the hospital. I remember I got in the tub and I was trying to like labor as long as I could in there too. And all my labors were fast. Yeah. <laughs> Sacred contracts, right? Like yeah. Brooks had his own special. He did. His own special lesson that he needed to bring for himself in his own journey, but also for you and your healing process for postpartum and for mm-hmm. all of those things that needed to be seen within yourself and your childhood self and all that, right? Like it's yeah. each each child I, I posted the other day that my daughter, Juniper, it was like killing me. Like just she was just so hard. Like what did the toddler rage at me about today? <laughs> she didn't want to get in her seat. She didn't want to do this. I, at the end of like me sharing that for everybody was there are teachers. They're here to be our teachers. And so each birth is unique. And even my own birth story, like each one is unique and is a sacred contract to teach us and guide us, whatever it is we're meant to learn in that time. And that ripples through. There's no one perfect way to give birth. Yes, there's amazing benefits in having a home birth and there's amazing benefits and having it be with a midwife who truly believes in whole person, whole whole everything care, right? You and baby and um, what that looks like going forward. But also knowing as a midwife who ha- has helped hundreds and hundreds of women have babies at home and I ended up with a home birth transfer C-section, like things, I was like, I hate my story. Like, what is this? I don't understand. And now I step back and I'm like, well, okay, of course I had that story. Like this has made me even more of a midwife and even more of a community healer and and to know what people are going through when it doesn't work out, when it doesn't look picturesque and perfect. Um, it's the rare. It's really the rare. Our, our transfer rate is like three to four percent. So it's not often that we do transfer, but when we do, and that's for non-emergent. Emergent is less than one percent. I feel like I should clarify that. (laughs) (laughs) Emergencies, true emergencies are less than one percent. But you know, there is a sacred story for each experience. And so I have people who've come to me for their fourth and final baby and they choose a home birth and they're like, gosh, why didn't I choose this with all my other ones? Why did I go through all of that pain and that hardship and that postpartum depression and everything to not have this experience with you. And I I, I say each baby brought you closer. Each baby taught you what it was supposed to. And and this is a journey. It's not a sprint. It's not, you know, we're going to get there when it's the perfect timing for us to get there. That triggered. (laughs) We got tears. Yeah. (laughs) This is kind of going on a different track than some of the questions I wanted to ask you, but it made me think of something that I've talked about kind of to my following is I've talked about how the birth was such a positive impact on Reed too, Mm -hmm. because of the way he came into the world, because it was so, it was a very peaceful experience. Um, And I've had people ask me, they're like, what do you mean how it was peaceful for them? And, and I think that's like how you said you, as a midwife, you recognize the baby as a whole person and how that it's their journey too. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. There's a really cool organization called APA, A-P-P-A-H. I don't ask me to remember all of it right now. I can look <laughs> up the acronym and we can put it at the bottom of the notes. But APA does a lot of trainings on the impact of pregnancy on the human psyche or the impact of pregnancy on a human and on a baby and the impact of birth on a baby and the impact of postpartum and trauma on a baby and how that reverberates through time and how we are as humans. And so if you ever think about like, what was my actual birth like when I came into the world? What was the imprint that was left on me? There's a quote that we say, peace on earth begins with birth. And if only like in the United States, less than, you know, like 1% of people in the United States are giving birth peacefully at home with good, wholesome care and like true whole person care and the babies are being treated like humans, 
we got a long way to go before we got peace on this earth. <laughs> Other countries have it a lot better. They've got midwives that they um, that do home birth and do in hospital. But our babies are to us just as important as our mothers are. That they are just as important to be cared for and just as important to be treated with honor and respect. And when they come out, before we even cut the cord, like we we talk to them before we cut the cord. And I say, okay, this is where you've received your nourishment. This is what you hugged your whole pregnancy, like your whole conception to birth. And we're going to cut this away because you don't need this anymore. You're here now and you're going to find nourishment. You've found nourishment at your mother's breast now. So this is where you're going to find your food. This will be your new comfort and your new home until you feel ready to release that one. And then we walk through the process of releasing the placenta. So talking them through every experience that they're, they're feeling and going through. It's important. It this feels weird, but it's important. <laughs> no, I think it's I think it's beautiful. I feel like sometimes it is hard for us to look at a baby and talk to them like like a person, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cuz they're just this little cute squirmy Thing just little sacks of potatoes. Right. Yeah. They're, that's a <laughs> And they're just looking at you and you're yeah. like, oh gosh. But they're taking it all in. And like when they come out, they know, they know each person's voice. They know mm-hmm. Tanner's voice, like Reed knew. And he can track and find, oh, that's my dad. I know him. Mm-hmm. So they are hearing and taking it in and learning lessons throughout the pregnancy. This is what we talk about in your pregnancy too, of like a joyful pregnancy. I I mean, we, especially this last year, it's just been so hard, right? So think of all the women that were pregnant throughout this last year and experiencing extra increased amounts of stress, cortisol, adrenaline. And we talk about how important it is to preserve you, your sanity, and your baby because your baby feels everything that you feel. So when someone cuts you off in the car and your pits get sweaty and you're like, oh my gosh, (laughs) going back and connecting with your baby and being like, that was really scary, wasn't it? I got startled in that moment. But you and I are safe and mm-hmm. I will continue to keep you safe and protect you. And like starting to shower love over that baby. And then instead of secreting the cortisol, your body starts to secrete oxytocin and to shower your baby in that love hormone. So for all you mamas who have gone through a lot this year and are pregnant and are the unknown, I feel like the unknown is really hard in these moments remember to carve out time with you and your baby and to spend that time covering them in oxytocin and slathering them in that beautiful love hormone. It's the same hormone that we have when we kiss, the same hormone when we see a friend and we feel loved or we hug. All of that oxytocin connects and creates connection. So slather your babies. That's beautiful. I'm like, (laughs) every time I'm with you, I feel like I cry. It's my favorite. Yeah. It's my favorite. It's a new crying chair. We're not in my office, but it's a new crying chair. I cry on the podcast a lot too. It's good. That's me. (laughs) Carly always keeps – I find – I seek out people who are grounded, I guess, because Carly is very like Tanner too. So I find like grounded people – because I'm very (laughs) – You're perfect and wonderful. Thank you. I love you. I love you. So I guess another question because we had somebody who talked about – one of their questions was, can you have a home birth if your BMI is 40 plus? Mm -hmm. So I guess I want to know like what qualifies or doesn't qualify you to be a candidate for home birth and what are some of the things that like we may be told like, oh, well, I can't because of this, but actually there may be chances where you actually could have a home birth. Yeah. So this is this also goes back to the different types of midwives, the different types of licensure, and every state is different as well. So in some states, midwifery is still illegal. (laughs) Can you imagine? That's insane. We are in 2021 and midwives are still going rogue and illegal. Um, In other states, it's illegal. So they're practicing and they're like not outside of the law, but they're not within the quote unquote law. For me, I would prefer to be illegal. I think that would be amazing. (laughs) So then you can have more freedom with your practice and less regulations. But in California, we have a guideline for licensed midwives and nurse midwives have their own guidelines through the BRN. Yes. Um, And so for us, there's, you know, 
her iron light levels have to be at a certain level for it to be safe so that there's no excess bleeding. Um, her blood pressures, she can't have hypertension throughout her pregnancy for risk of there being preeclampsia. We have to watch for signs of preeclampsia. But this again goes back to the difference between the medical model and the midwifery model of care. Okay. The medical model is diagnosis, like diagnosing you, oh, your blood pressure is 140 over 90. You have hypertension from here going forward. And then every time you go in, white coat syndrome starts to happen, right? Like you're scared. You're like, my blood pressure is going to be high again. And it might very well be, but it would be like a, let's find a medication for that, or let's label you as high risk. Whereas midwifery, you might have a blood pressure of that at one point, or it might be starting. We're watching throughout your entire care. We're not watching for you to hit this and then label you. We're watching for, oh, okay. So in your first visit, it was this. And in your second visit, it was this. And I'm seeing it start to rise a little bit as we're getting more pregnant. So instead of haphazardly allowing that to continue happening, which it does happen, not every experience is going to be fixed right in pregnancy because maybe they're deeper rooted issues. But our goal with midwifery and with our type of care is that we're looking to help the root of the issue as best as we can in that moment. Um, so we're doing like liver support and we're doing nutrition support. And especially for, we have women who've come to us and they're like, every single one of my babies has been preterm. And you came with Emmy and you were like, okay, so Emmy was preterm. And I'm just like, what if this baby comes preterm? And I said, well, uh, we have a history of all of our preterm cases tackling it with nutrition, having babies later than they had with their other previous pregnancies and staying low risk for a home birth. So there are guidelines that we have to follow for for that, um, for a few things. But we did have one, um, a friend of mine who, for the BMI question, um, who had been turned away from a birth center because their policies were that they couldn't take someone with a BMI higher than, I can't remember what it was. It was like in, I want to say in the 30s, like high 30s. Um, and so she was like, okay, I guess I just have to have a hospital birth, I guess. And she had her whole life, she worked with us at the birth center. She's like, I guess I just, that's just my path. Mm-hmm. And I looked at her and I was like, what are you talking about? Come and have a birth with me and Lindsay. What are you doing? And she's like, I can do that? I'm like, yeah, we're not going to kick you out because your BMI is over 40. No, we're, we believe in your body. Yes, there are maybe some increased risks. There are, you know, there have been studies. I did a whole case study on it um, in my midwifery program after that experience with her because I was like, we need to see, like, are the outcomes worse or not? And I think that hospital outcomes versus midwifery outcomes need to be studied completely separately because they're not the same, right? We have completely different methods of care and practice than um, standard care. So anyways, she went on to have a beautiful, empowering, amazing home birth where she, her grandpa walked in who he was in his eighties and he was doctor of dentistry. So he had a lot of, you know, thoughts and, and he was very offended that she was doing this. He was very worried about her. And he walked in after her baby was born and she said, see, I told you I could do it, grandpa. And it was just, we all started ah, crying. We're like, see, Aww. she told you. Um, she, she had a place to at least try, like at least give herself that opportunity to have choices. It's not about just the outcome only being that you have a home birth. It's that you have the choice to have the kind of care that you want to have. And then to walk out whatever that journey is going to look like for you, right? But if you remove choice, then what do we have? We just have a system of operation. We don't have, we have practice guidelines and protocols. We don't have individual human beings. So each person is unique and individual and we tackle each case individually. And if someone's having stuff in their postpartum period or um, they're thinking about getting pregnant, I always talk about, well, then start tackling those things now before you conceive so that you can work towards um, being low risk and having a beautiful home birth without intervention and all that. I was just thinking about how you said, like, if there's no options, what does that leave us? And that's when I say, I'm going to go birth in a field. Okay. So there are a lot of women who are doing that. I know. And a lot of people think midwifery is that. It always makes me laugh. I'm like, okay. The husband's like, well, where are we going to, what are we going to do? And I'm like, well, okay. So like, I'm going to walk you guys out to the forest or the beach. And then I'm going to just go back in the house and you guys got it, right? (laughs) But there is, there are a lot of people who are, and you asked me earlier, are all midwives created equal? They're not. And not all obstetricians are created equal. I've had, when I was a 
a doula. I had a hospital experience with one of my clients where the doctor was far and above amazing mm-hmm. compared to the midwife. Like the midwife, I was like, she's the midwife. That's in that's mind blowing to me. So it's it's again about the person and the type of care that they truly wholeheartedly believe in and the belief systems that they have about the human body and about the ability of women to give birth, of people to give birth. So because not all midwives are created alike and because not all people are created equal, there has been this movement towards women giving birth at home the way you did with Brooks, but intentionally, (laughs) right? And it's called free birth. So women are doing free birth now because they maybe had a bad midwife experience. So it's funny with some of the free birth movements. I'm like, but not all midwives are, are like that. But you know, you have to, again, go with what feels like the right thing for you. And some for some people, free birth is going to be the right option for them. For others, a midwife is the right option. And for others, it's going to be hospital birth. So you have, to, you have to do the work, though, and be willing to do the work. And that's the hardest part, I think, is doing the inner work. Right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny because each pregnancy and each birth that I've had, I've just learned so much and I've come so far from like my own inner work mm-hmm. and just how like it's been my own process. And But then if I could like say like, I wish I would have known all these things beforehand, how different like my all my births could have been. But then I've learned so much. What would your journey have looked I like? Know. Right? What would it right. be? My husband said to me when I transferred with Junie's birth, he, he was like, babe, you couldn't be the midwife that just pops her baby out at home all easy peasy. He's like, first off, that's not who you are on this planet. Like you're you <laughs> healers don't always get the easy, right? We get the hard, we get the stuff, we get the shit so that we can know mm-hmm. how to stand side by side through with someone else who's going through the trenches as well and say, I've see you, I've been here, I know this. And you're going to be okay, and that and holding that mirror to them, um, but yeah, no, not every, <laughs> not you wouldn't have it. What is life if you're not experiencing your journey and learning? We always say f- falling forward, right? We're we're failing forward. Yeah. Do you have like a favorite like? I'm sure there's so many, but do you have any like specific like birth stories that really stick out to you? Like, um, we did have one years and years ago that I always thought I would tell at when I taught classes, um, birth classes, and people always thought it was hilarious that this we it was when I worked at the birth center and the mom was laboring and she's like, I need to go pee. And she went to go to the toilet and then she goes, Oh, oh. I think the baby's going to come. And she stood up. And as I turned the corner, the baby just drops out. (gasps) And I like slide in as if I'm sliding into home base. And I grab an arm and a leg. And I look up at her. And she's like, holy shit, you caught my baby. And I was like, holy (laughs) shit, I caught your baby. (laughs) How did that happen? (laughs) You just were like totally fine. And then now your baby's here. It was so amazing. We were cracking up and had the best time. Um, Not all babies fall out like that. (laughs) But it was really silly and fun. And we had a great time with that. But I think that I, I can't think of any other good one, uh, good stories. I feel like the, each birth is so unique mm-hmm. and each one has, again, we've talked about the, its own lesson to bring. And there's no two births that are like that is one thing that's a midwife is our we are always on our toes and always learning lessons because each human is so individual and unique that there's like the, the basic outline of what a birth's going to look like and what midwifery is going to look like. But then when you enter in with each individual human, then you have each one has their own individual unique experience. So we're always learning. We're always growing. There's always something new and wonderful to experience. That's why I love birth stories because they are all so unique. Like we may have like certain things that we can relate to each other on like, oh my gosh, that happened to me too. Or Mm -hmm. that's, you know, very similar, but they all just have their own special story no matter the outcome, you know. Well, and to go back to the culture of fear is that most people like to project their negative experiences on the people, especially if you're choosing a home birth. So anybody that's choosing a home birth, and we always talk about to our clients of protecting your bubble of peace. You don't have to tell everyone that you're having a home birth, (laughs) right? And you don't invite everyone in. Would you invite everyone in to watch you having sex? No, this is just as intimate. So 
there's this culture of fear where everyone projects their own experiences as if it's going to be your experience, as if it's going to be what you are going to go through. And that's their own fear and that's their own experience. Mm -hmm. And that's also tied epidemiologically to their own birth experiences and to their own mother's birth experiences, right? We talked about in the 1800s how they were they were doing twilight sleep on our grandmothers and great-grandmothers, twilight sleep, knocking them out, forcepping the babies out, and then they wouldn't wake up for a day to three days and have separation between them and their baby. The babies would be fed formula. So like we've got all this cellular trauma throughout the the last 100, 200 years that has come with us. And so we're all working through that in our own unique birth stories. Gosh. Right? It's wild. I just feel so bad for our grandparents. But that, that's their own sacred contract. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. They yeah. did a study on rats with cherries. They had cherries in the rat cage and the, the rats would go, this certain type of breed of rat would go and eat the cherries and it was like a special treat. It was exciting. And then with that, like they started zapping them every time they would go to eat the cherries. So they knew that the cherries was a fun treat and then they'd go to eat it and then they would zap them. And then eventually like the next generation or the generation after that wouldn't eat cherries because they would knew in their cells that they would be zapped if they ate those cherries. That's crazy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you, that's the stuff that we're working through. It's like beyond just our own cultural stuff. It's mm -hmm. like DNA stuff mm -hmm. that we work through. I've always said, because there's a lot of like generational trauma, I guess. We all have it, right? We all have it. <laughs> In my family, but I've always said that I was going to be the chain breaker. Yes. <laughs> you know, Khaleesi I'm, breaker of chains. I, I know. <laughs> yes. And I'm not like a big presence. You know, I'm a pretty like, I feel like I'm a pretty like gentle person. But for some reason, like I have like a huge rebel, rebellious side. Yeah. And I feel like that's like one of my, one of my callings, yes. I think, is to like be the person who maybe is able to like at least start that little chain breaking. For, yes. For the future, future of my my children and their children and their children, yes. and because what you what choices you make reverberate and they mm -hmm. ripple. Mm -hmm. And there, I feel like too. There's generations. Like my mom always says, "I'm better than my mom. You're better than me. And Junie is going to be better than you are." And I'm like, "Okay, Junie's going to be better. So even if I fuck up, it's going to be better." <laughs> Sorry if I'm not allowed to cuss, but even if I make you know mistakes that I think are not. Yeah. Good. I'm still doing better than <laughs> the generations past. But I feel like one of the things that I've noticed with the generation of babies that are around Junie's age, like two and a half, three years old, are fire. Mm -hmm. Like just fire. And <laughs> I'm like, I almost don't know how to raise these babies because they are so purposeful. Like they know what they want. There is no persuading them out of it. They're very like strong and powerful little beings. And I so I think, okay, so when we came on this planet, we came to be the breaker of chains. Like we came to say, mm, that's enough. Like we're done with this trauma. We're done with this pattern. We're done with this um, continued family behavior. And we're going to break it. And we might not know how. We're going to fall forward. We're going to fumble our way through and screw up as yeah. we go. But we're going to make the first step so that the foundation that our kids have to stand on is even better than the foundations that we've had before. I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Emerson is like, I mean, I swear she has like the pers the way she can try to persuade and talk her way into outer into something. Oh, they smart! Oh my gosh! I'm like, are, are you 18? Yep. <laughs> they smart. And it's, and it's it's thought out processes. Mm -hmm. Like she she's already thought of. Well, what if they say this back to me? Then I'm gonna go with this approach. And then you know, like she already mm -hmm. has everything already. <laughs> I'm like, I lose. <laughs> I cave. I give. Whatever you need, child. I feel like sometimes I need to go get like a PhD in child raising. I'm like, is there such a thing as a child raising PhD? Because I need it. Yeah. <laughs> She's yeah. so strong. <laughs> oh, this is a good question too, is I guess people who are hoping for a V back. Yes. Yeah. Just, yeah. Like me. <laughs> One day. It's still like an option to have a home birth, right? After Absolutely. you've had a cesarean. Absolutely. I'm yeah. sure that like, what are the, what are the, I'm sure the statistics are even crazier for people who just have another cesarean, but. 
Well, so you have to think that there's re- there's risk with anything that you do. We talk about this all the time. With the VBAC, there is risk. We're not in the hospital with an OR right next door. But also, not all births are crash and burn like you see in the movies. Most times you're seeing things as they're happening. So you're watching things unfold and you're like, you know what, let's try A, B, and C and see if it's going to change the direction we're going. And if not, then that's when we safely 3 to 4% transfer to the mm-hmm. hospital. Um, with our VBACs, we have – we've had like almost 100% VBAC transfer or non-transfer rate. So VBAC – successful VBAC at home, HBAC, home birth after cesarean. Um, so we don't treat them any differently as if they were maybe a first-time mom coming in to do it again just because they haven't birthed vaginally. But most VBACs come in and have beautiful, beautiful redemptive births um, and experiences and we don't we don't treat it like it's any different except for that there is that that small relative risk that's out there just like when you get in your car but nobody comes and reports to you every time you get in your car just so you know right now you're about to take the risk of that you're not near a hospital if you crash and burn in this car <laughs> it's the same thing there's risk everywhere right um it's knowing your risk and having a provider who's going to walk it through with you. Obviously, some of the risks of of VBAC would be like your uterine rupture, but you have a higher risk of uterine rupture in the hospital than you do at an out-of-hospital birth because we're not inducing by any means unnaturally for this birth to happen. So when there's augmentation, when there's outside forces coming in trying to make a baby come, that increases your risks. Mm -hmm. And if you're to have a repeat cesarean, that increases your risks as well. So there's there's risk for everything that you do. It's just knowing your risks and what intuitively feels like the right choice for you and your baby. So one day when I'm able, my goal is to have a VBAC at home. Yeah. Are you going to have Lindsay? Yeah, of course. My best friend. (laughs) I know. I'm like, okay, so here's the deal. We're basically going to like be like the people out in the woods, but (laughs) we're going to free birth, but we're not going to do it. I get to do it with my best friend. It's a very different scenario for me. I've sometimes I've said to her, I wish that I could just be a normal human being when it's time for me to give birth. I know so much. I like, it's my live and breathe every day. So there's benefits to that because I get to be surrounded by the most amazing community. Like when I had my miscarriage, I was scared to share it, but not in the way that I feel like most people would be. It was like more of a, okay, I'm here to now to expose my soul again um, that something has happened in my journey. And the community that I had surrounding me was just so absolutely beautiful and powerful. It's hard because I don't get to just be ignorantly blissful walking through my pregnancy journey and like thinking it's going to all work out for me. <laughs> and I and I have a million people that want to come to my births and then I have to be like, mm, yes or no. Or this time I'm like, I don't care. Everybody's invited. We're just going to, I'm going to have no expectations at all. That's one of the things I learned from my birth experience. Literally no expectations. Throw them all out the window um, and allow your journey to be whatever it's going to be. So but yeah, my best friend will be there. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I love I I've talked to you about it, but I love the friendship that you guys have. It's very palpable. Yeah. Just like the connection you have. Even when I was giving birth and in between my contractions, <laughs> I was able to kind of like observe you guys working together and I've told you like there was just this unspoken connection of you guys knowing what each of you needed without even having to verbally speak it. Yeah. And you were able to support each other while you guys were supporting me and it was I I even like was able to even recognize that and I just think you guys have such a an amazing. Yeah, it's very, thing. very special. I feel very blessed. All the time we're like, how did we do life without each other before? Like, we're so blessed to have each other. We call each other like soul sisters. You you can't do life without your soul sister. Yeah, yeah. for sure. One of the questions that we, or I guess a couple of the questions we like to ask everyone who comes on here who is a parent, because you have a sweet little girl that my daughter likes too. Emmy, do you remember Junie? Yeah. yeah. She knows Junie. You guys were fun friends. <laughs> yeah. What would be one piece of advice that you would offer to a new mom? And then also just what is your favorite thing about being a mom? Like what lights you up about being a mom? So for the new mama is just grace, 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 grace on yourself. There's so much expectation to jump back into life and to be your old self. and. Mm-hmm. 
we're never the same. <laughs> like when you birth a human and you become a mother, you're never the same. There are old pieces of you, but you're never the same again, right? So having grace on yourself as you fumble forward and learn. So it's a season of of just learning how to be this new version of yourself and to not judge yourself so harshly, to not put heavy and high expectations on yourself to be anything other than what you are in that moment, right? Like I remember feeling like I needed to to go back to work and Lindsay being like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. She every time I would ask her, can I come back now? Can I come and work with us again? Like and be us? Absolutely not. Like you need to take this time to just be with your baby. And not all of us have that the ability to do that. Um, and I do honor that that's not the case for everybody. No matter what your circumstance looks like, really allowing yourself to have grace on yourself and to not put such heavy expectations on yourself to be perfect or to perform or to feel like you need to attain some certain level of productivity because you've had a baby. It took me, I feel like I just came up for air at two years, right? Like it took me that long. And we used to have these built-in villages that took care of us and that it was a group effort. It was never just one woman doing everything. And now we live in these, you know, suburban lifestyles or city lifestyles where it's one person doing all the things. And so knowing that you're doing a job that a village should be doing. And if you have a village, reach out to them, ask them for help, find your support, find your people and, and utilize those people, find a group that is meeting. And we, and sometimes my biggest sanity was calling Lindsay and being like, did you experience A, B and C? Because I feel insane. And she's like, oh yeah. And was it like, da, 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 da. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, <laughs> like just to hear that I'm not insane is so nice, right? Like we're all in it and we're all experiencing it. And we all have different moments of feeling like we're super women. And then other moments where we feel like we're fumbling and that's okay. It's all part of it. And then what was the second question? Um, what is your favorite part about being a mom? Like what, oh, yeah. what lights you up? I love getting to see the world through her eyes. Like I really love to – she's my little best friend. Like I I just love to learn with her and to hear the funny things that she's, she's really starting to jump into like – when we're driving in the car, she's like, okay, mom, it's green. You can start driving. She's perceiving so many things around her. So starting to live the life with her and see it through her eyes is really, really special. And that bonding connection, it was really hard for me to transition from her being my tiny baby to her being a toddler and so like strong and wanting to do things herself. And and now I'm starting to see like, no, this isn't its own fun version. Each stage is really special and unique and hard. <laughs> but it's getting to witness who she is evolving has been really, really special. Well, thank you so much, Ashley, for joining me on this podcast. I hope everybody enjoyed it as much as I did. I could listen to you talk all day. Make sure you guys go to Apple Podcast and subscribe if you have it and make sure to leave us a five-star review. And thank you so much for listening as always. And we will talk to you next week. Bye, guys. Can you say bye? Bye. <laughs> <laughs>